Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, The Ultimate Hiring Guide for Sales Managers. Make sure you download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three five one. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I have really enjoyed getting to know today's guest. She's a future of work and life expert. So um, you can see how that's incredibly relevant right now and always. She's the author of Building the Business of You, a system to align passion and growth potential through your own career mashup. She's also the principal and co-founder of Flywheel Associates, where she helps clients put strategy into action to move their businesses forward. She's a founding member of the Asian American Authors Book Club, and in all of her copious spare time, she also is the creator and host of the Strategic Momentum Podcast. A little bit busy. She's based in lovely Leesburg, Virginia. Welcome to the show, Connie Steele. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I am just so glad that you could join me. And before we get into some topics where we're going to be discussing the future of work and life, I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. I just shared, you know, what people can find on your LinkedIn, but I'd love it if you could tell a little bit about kind of how you got to where you are today. Sure. So all of those things that I do, I like to call that my own career mashup, which is something we'll get into. Um, And I'm also a mom as well. And I think that's an important part of my identity in Mm -hmm. addition to all of the professional endeavors that I have. So I spent much of my career as a marketing and strategy executive in technology companies prior to making a pivot to pursue a more independent path. And that wasn't something that was in the plan at all. I think like Uh many people right now, um, mine was that decision to make that pivot was one where I needed to find more flexibility, Uh greater control so that I could be a parent to my young kids at the time a decade ago. But I also wanted to explore other interests because the current trajectory that I was on, which was a uh, essentially the head of marketing, the CMO of a tech company, wasn't giving me the level of fulfillment Mm -hmm. that I thought I would have. Because like many, the path that I was on was more of the traditional, linear, sort of sequential, upward movement towards more title, more compensation, Mm -hmm. um, thinking that would be what success would that that's what success would be for me. Mm-hmm. And when I hit that, I realized, wow, this really isn't it. So I guess a, a, a little bit of other background about me is that you know I'm a child of immigrants, I'm first generation Chinese American, and the emphasis early on and and throughout sort of my childhood and then into you know my college years was all about academics. So it was sort of ingrained in me that you had to pursue a path that way. And I think for many people, because that was the roadmap to success. Mm -hmm. But when I started working, I realized that the rules of work were very different, that it wasn't this simple upward path. You know, you work hard, it's meritocracy and opportunities come. And I I had to learn quite a bit on my own to how to successfully navigate those pieces. And there were lots of ups and downs, lots of test and learning, testing and learning, trial and error to figure out what fit and what didn't. Uh, and my path hasn't necessarily been linear. 
mm-hmm. which I think is the norm for a lot of people today. And so when I decided ultimately to make that pivot, uh, this journey that I've been on has enabled me to find this alignment of being able to help others as well as companies find their personal professional fit and unlock their potential because I know what that struggle can be like. Absolutely. I I love that story and I can really just hear the passion coming out in your voice. Thank you. Because this is this, you know, anytime you can experience something and then see that it's aligned with trends that are happening, you know, it's not just you, it's not just um, people in a similar situation as you, maybe first generation. Um, it's not just people of your specific age and demographic. It, it really is a broader trend that we're seeing across a lot of different people in, in many different industries. And so I'd love to really focus our conversation today on these key themes that we're seeing. You know, you're focused on the future of work. And um, anytime you're focused on the future, you obviously have some sense of the past and the present. So what are some of the the key changes that you're seeing, the the key trends that that you're noticing, maybe because, again, you personally experience them, or just you're, you're hearing about this and seeing this in your research? Absolutely. So there has been a shift in what workers want out of work and how they're going about navigating their careers as a result. One of the things that we've seen, I think you've probably sensed this as well, I think most people probably have sensed it within themselves, that their goals have shifted. Mm -hmm. Those traditional definitions of what we were looking to achieve, what was deemed as success, which is typically money, title, power, thinking that will give you fulfillment, which is what I personally had thought years ago, it's shifted. People are now looking for meaning and not solely focused on money. It's this, de- it's this desire to align their passions and interests with a common purpose. We're finding attitudes have fundamentally changed as well. They see their work, career, and life as fully integrated, not mm-hmm. siloed and separate. Certainly, the pandemic has accelerated that trend. Mm-hmm. But that had been happening for some time as well, because if you take a step back and you think about how technology has really been a significant driver of our behavior and our mindset and our attitudes, we now all operate in a very agile way. Uh, Our work and our home life are integrated on our phone. Mm-hmm. You know, in our digital life, we are flipping constantly and context switching between our personal sort of uh, responsibilities and needs and our professional responsibilities as well. Uh, but what you're also seeing is fundamentally this shift from a very siloed, rigid, conformist work environment and to some degree you know, separation of work and life to one that is such more collaborative, fluid, multimodal, multidimensional. Mm. And that's so much about reflecting our individual agency because can we talk about this convergence that's happening, right? This integration, right? Work and life are integrated. And people don't want to separate that anymore. It's not an or situation. It's an and. And in the end, the key thing that was the insight for me when I sort of started this journey to better understand why things were happening, the future is about B. 
being fluid. Because if you think about how you work, where you work, when you work, who you might work for, what you use, even who you are, that is dynamically changing depending on the context. So in order for people to find traction in what it is they may want to pursue, it's not necessarily being fixed anymore. It is about constantly growing, learning, adapting, evolving, and iterating to eventually finding the right fit for yourself. Absolutely. Um, one thing that that I can't help but think about is how the the stats came out. I, I'll say, I think you and I are probably similar in age, and you know, I'm a millennial. And the story that was being told about millennials. Um, even years ago was, you know, they don't stay in a job for very long. They're constantly moving around. And that was portrayed as a failure, as a weakness, as, uh, you know, these these shiftless people just don't know what they're looking for. And now everybody's doing that. And it's it's become just a, a kind of expectation that people have a lot of different experiences and they they build their own mashup. Like you said, you know, you take a skill that you might have learned in one place and you combine that with an area of expertise, of focus, of interest from another place, and and you build something unique with those different factors. And it's so interesting to see how people are actually they're able to be more fulfilled. It's not like they're skipping around, you know, I'm not happy with this and then I move somewhere else. I'm not happy with that. And it's constantly just, just, you know, unsatisfied instead really it's, it's a more intentional um, crafting and, and finding the, the work, the, the lifestyle that are going to feel good, that are going to feel fulfilling. And that's a really interesting um, reframing and a, a different understanding, I think, of this trend than some people maybe had. Absolutely. Where I see things just shifting is that there's a greater desire to achieve breadth, not depth, in the skills, experiences, roles that you have over time, because now you can. Technology has enabled people to explore their passions and interests in a way that has a pretty low barrier to entry. So even though you might have a full-time opportunity with an organization, for example, that doesn't preclude you from testing and learning another avenue to pursue an interest that you might have online. Certainly, you've seen it with the growth of the creator economy. 10 years ago, you didn't hear people being TikTok stars, but there <laughs> were people who were YouTubers, right? That's been going on for some time. But there has been this ability to parallel path several avenues so that people can create a portfolio career if they wish. And many have been thinking about that, either they've started it, continued, or have been thinking about it for some time. And that has been a trend that you've been seeing with the millennial generation, also because during the time that they entered the workforce, 
there weren't the level of opportunities because of the recession. So mm-hmm. they had done everything right, gone to school, gone to college, but then there weren't jobs out there for them to really lean into. So you have the ability though with technology to explore different ways to create revenue streams. And so it's this mindset now that it not only helps you expand and really fulfill um, those interests that you have, but it's also a way to manage risk. Now, not everyone may want to pursue a portfolio career. It's something certainly that we see in the data that people are looking to, to do that more and more and more. Certainly, as you see the composition of the workforce changing, and there's four generations in the workforce, but others may have want to just sample different uh, roles and experiences and industries because they're trying to figure out what they like. And all of that may be integrated and rolled into a super job in the future. I'll give you an interesting example of somebody that I talked to uh, who she is uh, also millennial and happens to work in product management, I believe. Uh, But she had said she's always been looking at different opportunities and saw something at Spotify that really intrigued her. And it it was a role having to deal with algorithmic bias. Now, that is not something that's common yet. And we know at the rate of change that's happening, new opportunities will really flourish over the next five, 10 years. And you can't predict what they're going to be. But the fact is... What is needed for that role is someone with a product management background she has, but the fact is she also has been doing machine learning and mm-hmm. AI, so which also fits. But she also loves statistics and studied statistics in her college education. In addition, she also has just a strong passion for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that's an example of how a brand new really role and potentially work category needs to pull from a range of disciplines, skills, and experiences to fulfill that new job. And so until you actually have to some degree a breath, you may be penalized by going too deep. And candidly, not everybody wants to be too deep anymore. I certainly understand that. I actually happen to be a, a Gen Xer. But I, having worked in technology, I always was fascinated by learning new things. I always wanted to push myself to learn new things. And that is the default of many who are entering the workforce and who are growing in their career in the workforce, is that they want to constantly be challenging themselves. So staying in one particular area for a really long time and going incredibly deep and being specialist, which is what was appreciated years ago, mm-hmm. isn't necessarily going to be what's going to be beneficial necessarily in the future. I mean, there is a certain level of depth that you need to become an expert or to master an area. But how deep you need to go really may vary. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, to to what you've said in terms of just long-term trends, I think whether people explicitly understand it or not, we've all seen as the world has changed, as the economy has changed, as the way um, people buy has changed, that there are entire job categories that don't exist anymore. Right. And there are people 
that we might have seen. And maybe it was parents, maybe it was peers, maybe it was, you know, people just a, a little bit older who maybe had a significant depth in one area. And then that became irrelevant. And again, whether it's explicitly understood or not, that's that's scary. That's something you think, you know, I don't want that to be me. And so even, even without having a real conscious um, understanding of it, that can really drive you to think, I want to stay on top of new trends. I want to make sure I'm constantly learning new things. I don't want to be obsolete like I saw this person become obsolete or, or you know, a whole bunch of people become obsolete. And it, there's there's a part of it, like like we've said, and, and I'll, I'd like to continue this conversation, but there's a part of it that's about, you know, personal fulfillment and passion. But there is also a big part that's just reducing the risk of becoming obsolete and, you know, finding it really difficult to find any work at all. Right. Well, we are now in a world where uncertainty is the new certainty, and mm-hmm. change is constant. So it makes a lot of people feel uneasy naturally. But if you can stay on top of those trends, to your point, and in the book, actually, there is a chapter in there to help people build their own strategic plans for themselves so they can continue to stay relevant mm-hmm. and align their passion and interests to their potential, you got to start with spotting the trends. You have to be in tune with what's happening in the marketplace, particularly in those areas that that really connect with you. But you also have to stay in tune with those trends within yourself. And mm-hmm. a lot of us don't always do that. We are searching for you know these jobs or roles or companies that we believe could be the right next step, but it might never be because we're not sure what we personally want, what really fits us best, what are the environments, what are the types of people, what's the kind of culture, or really understanding where you deliver the most value, how you deliver your value. Getting to really understand you is so important in order to create that kind of traction that you want so that you can achieve that level of fulfillment and happiness that you're looking for. Because, you know, the other big trend is that we're now in this world where people want to be their whole self. We don't want to compartmentalize anymore. We don't want to have, you know, this situation where, oh, I only have to show me and my work life. This is who I am at work. And that gets turned off. Then we come home and this is my home life. But that's what it was years ago because it had to be. But now we recognize that in order for us to really, really build that kind of momentum for ourselves – We need to be who we are. And we're not one-dimensional. We're multidimensional. So of course we're going to have different interests. Of course we're going to have different sides of us. But what are those companies slash environments, roles, situations that lets us be us? You know, and that's harder. 
Uh, and it's not something that's going to happen overnight, but when you recognize that there are certain aspects of you that are missing, as example, I was someone who was pushed to really address a very quantitative side of me because I was mm-hmm. pushed in that way to fulfill what my parents felt would be the right career path. But yet I have always been quite creative and right brain. Mm-hmm. And so it took me time to find sort of that right industry uh, and, and those skills that let me be right brain and left brain, you know, to to kind of exercise that creative talent that I've always had. But too often, we're forced to just pick one, or at least in the past, it was you really focused on one and then, you know, in your spare time is maybe a hobby. <laughs> go, go, go do those, those things that might bring you a little bit of joy, but why, you know, in, in this situation now where so many things are changing so quickly, people as a result of the pandemic are now much more aware of, you know, how life can be fleeting. Mm-hmm. Folks want to find that intersection of how they can really maximize these hidden talents they've always had. Yeah. And, you know, to what you were just saying, there's a part of it that maybe you've been interested in something from the time that you were a kid, you know, and you, you've always been somebody who liked to draw or somebody who liked to write, or you, you made up plays and you were, you know, presenting those to your family. And it was seen as something that, you do off the clock and you can't integrate it into, into your work life. And there are so many opportunities. You know, we're hosting a podcast right now. We're talking on a podcast and maybe somebody who really likes to meet new people or really likes to learn new things or just likes to, to have their voice be heard can think about, you know, could I integrate that into either my current job or could I start a side hustle? And I have a podcast on the side. And obviously half of the planet is currently doing that with a podcast specifically. But it's it's still that, that just being your whole self um, and being able to take that into work. You think of the stereotype from, from years and years ago. And I know not everybody was exactly like this, but it was so much you go to work and it's miserable and you hate every little bit of it. And then the clock ticks over to five o'clock and suddenly, you know, you go home and you change your clothes and you, you become the fun person, but it's really, it's like black and white as opposed to um, taking those passions and those interests, because if you can take that energy from the things that inspire you, and interest you, you're going to do better at work, even on the the parts of your job that aren't necessarily leveraging those um, those elements, right? So if you if you're really really into one part of it, and then there's some busy work that's required to kind of make that happen, you're going to understand, and it's going to be implicit that you have to do some of that busy work to get to get the satisfaction. And it's a lot easier than just feeling like I'm one small gear in this giant machine and I have no idea why I'm doing what I'm doing, but I push the button that they tell me to push. 100%, right? When you have a clearer focus on your purpose and you are able to exercise those passions, or maybe you might not have a passion, but you get to exercise those interests, 
by default, you're going to be inevitably more engaged in what it is that you're doing. And if you're more engaged in what it is you're doing, you're likely going to be producing better output and putting in the time and effort because you feel you're getting something out of it as well. I think what's important for people to understand is that this world of work is where, is where you're now in product and service on the web, whether you like it or not. Mm. And as a product and service on the web, you're going to be in a constant beta state to be your best <laughs> self because you're always going to be exposed to new technologies for that matter, new people, uh, new experiences, new opportunities, which will shape what you think maybe then eventually what you need, and how you're going to go about doing it. So be open to that. I think that default state of being agile, experimenting, is certainly much more of a default mindset. It's that growth mindset. That's much more of a default mindset for those that are younger and growing in their career versus those who have been working for quite some time because they also didn't have an environment where speed to market of products and services were at that that same rate of change as they were before. And so innovation didn't happen in the same way. So because of all these different dynamics where businesses now have to be much more incredibly agile to be competitive. They can't be fixed either. As we mm -hmm. know, we've seen whole industries being disrupted as a result of sort of innovative approaches to, to different industries. And the a bigger macro thing that's important, I think, for people to see is that there's just this broader hybridization of work and life. Nothing is really a pure play anymore. I could cite examples of Food is an obvious one. You've seen fusion <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> but let's even look at exercise. Exercise, you have these interesting combinations of plyometrics and, and yoga, or <laughs> you see uh, different things where you've got uh, even P90X, for those people who are familiar, it, it, you're, you're combining lots of different kinds of exercises all in one. Uh, but even experiences when you travel, you know, it's not just one specific thing, but there's a lot of different ways that you can craft sort of these travel experiences that you have. So what I think is important for people to see is that the the way the world is even operating, um, the very traditional sort of siloed, structured uh, bands of things just are now being – there's a lot of crossover <laughs> – and combinations and permutations such that it creates really interesting opportunities for people. But what what many just need to realize too is that to, to identify what will fit you, it's important to have a career plan. So from the research that we did, which was all about understanding what workers want and this is from a human level, not as an employee. It's just you. Mm -hmm. Because in the future, not everybody is going to be an employee. Mm -hmm. We have a growing trend of gig workers as well. They're just as valuable in the workforce as somebody who is an employee of a company. So it's important to understand what do people want? What do they need to be successful? Well, one of the key drivers in being satisfied with your career progress 
And by the way, people are not quite happy with where they are <laughs> in terms of their career progress uh, or their compensation for that matter as a result. Um, but in order to, to move forward, it's really having a clear plan, defining what those goals are, and having a roadmap for you to achieve it. And as part of this planning dimension, as we call it, it's having the right people to support you along the way in reaching your goal. Now, while I know that seems simple, the reality is that when you talk to uh, folks, if you're trying to figure out where you want to go next, there's a wealth of advice that you will get where some will say, go take this class or pivot to this company or move up in this role or or learn, take this course. You know, There's a lot of different ways that you could potentially move forward, but you don't really know what moves the needle. Mm -hmm. For us, it was really important to understand, well, what really is it that moves the needle the most? And we had a pretty sort of clear thought of what it was going to be because of all the people that I had interviewed over the years on my podcast, which led to the book, which was without even knowing it, they established a very clear plan. And mind you, that plan changed over time because they would get feedback from it, which helped them pivot and adjust. But really defining what is it that I want? And what they want wasn't just the job. It's what do I want out of my life? And how does my job or the work that I do fit into it? which is another big shift. And when you can establish that alignment, and this is where the strategic planning comes in, right? The Mm -hmm. goals, objectives, strategies, tactics. When you've got clarity on what it is you're really trying to achieve, then when you act on it, you'll know that you're moving in the direction that you want versus it being a little more aimless and you looking towards those short-term fixes then in the end, leave you sort of empty. So, you know, that's one of the key things I want uh, your listeners to just be mindful of. No matter where you are in your career, it's it's taking the time out for yourself mm-hmm. to say, what is it that I really want and I need? And that's not necessarily an easy question to answer at first because you might not have ever really thought about it. More and more people are Certainly, I've been thinking about it now in light of the huge numbers that you see with the great resignation and the constant pivoting that you uh, are observing as well in the marketplace of people switching to different careers because I realized that, wait, you know what? I've been doing this one job for so long. I, I, It's not it anymore. I need to go pursue something different. And they're now finally taking action on it. But it was finally getting that clarity for themselves, that was the trigger for them to now pursue that. It's not to say that they couldn't go back eventually, but again, when you when you can identify what that North Star may be for that time being, and again, that North Star won't always be fixed and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But when you have clarity in what that North Star is, it helps you start to coalesce the strategies and tactics to start working towards achieving them. Absolutely. And something that that I I really honed in on as you were talking, you know, we, we've been talking a lot about as an individual, um, 
what what you can do in terms of being intentional about your career and and thinking through this and, and really kind of mashing up your interests. And you mentioned, and I think this is so incredibly important for our listeners to, to think about, it has historically kind of been accepted wisdom that the more you could do to retain talent, the better. And a lot of that was about depth and not breadth, right? We want to have a team of significant expertise where somebody's been in their job for a very long time and they've moved up on a very straight line and they know every little thing that there is to know in our business. And I'm not saying that that's not valuable, right? And I'm sure you're not as well. Like there, there's significant just expertise that, that can be gained. But what I'm hearing from you is, you know, if you have a team and everybody on that team has been there for 20 years and they're super expert at doing what you currently do, the way you currently do it, if you need to pivot as an organization, you haven't really built a team that's equipped for that. And instead, if you have a team of people who maybe have had some interesting paths to get to where they are, and they're constantly learning and trying new things, you're really more equipped as an organization to adjust to the the changing needs of the market. So I I said a lot there, and and certainly I want you to respond to that, but I'd also really just like to maybe discuss what are some best practices that leaders can think about as as they're building their teams, as they're trying to still retain talent, but maybe allow people to, to have some of this flexibility or, you know, maybe stay in the organization, but, but still pursue their passions. How can leaders risk-proof their organizations by kind of supporting this? Does that make sense as a question? Yes. Yes. So to your first point about a Creating an innovative culture happens when you've got a lot of differing perspectives. Mm-hmm. Having homogeneity doesn't facilitate breakthrough ideas. When you've got diversity in thinking, diversity in backgrounds, diversity in identities, diversity in experiences, you're going to bring differing perspectives on how to solve a problem and ways to approach it, which then when you can align what they are, leads to new white space opportunities to capitalize on. And I think what organizations need to understand is that with the rate of change happening so fast, technology also being a critical driver or enabler of realizing these new opportunities that you can pursue, Mm -hmm. finding those people who have seen the application of different ways of solving problems and whether using technology or not, but let's just say, again, technology really is how it's going to be powered. It will unleash a different um, way to to address it. So that's, that's the first thing. But when it comes to risk proofing your organization and retaining talent or attracting talent or developing talent, I want to start with something just really a simple um, construct is know your audience. Mm -hmm. Just like any company who has to really sell their products and services 
they have to know who they're selling to and ensure that they've got a clear value proposition that attracts them mm-hmm. and that the product and service that they have is compelling enough that they're going to want to continue to use it and have repeat purchase. Mm. As a company, you need people to do your work. People are what make up an organization. They're not assets. Mm. (laughs) They're individuals. Individuals have needs. What I see that's been a trend is that Organizations have focused so much on the KPIs and the numbers. It's about productivity, right? It's about that optimization. Uh, It's about revenue. That you forgot there's a human being behind all of that. Mm -hmm. Everyone has been challenged with trying to make their life and work fit. So when you take a step back and say, wait, you know, who are the people in my company? And again, if you have four generations in the workplace – Somebody in their 20s is very different than somebody in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s in terms of where they are in their career and what they need out of it. Mm -hmm. So you have to be mindful of that, first and foremost. But it gets back to a much more human-centered way of leading. It's not just saying, oh, it's about servant leadership. It's about actually caring and identifying what do your employees feel that they need to be successful and have this mutual value exchange. And ensuring that there's alignment on the common goals that you have. So hopefully, the talent that you're attracting feels a fundamental alignment to the purpose of your company, the Mm -hmm. values that they have, the mission that it stands for, and the vision that they're looking to achieve. Because you see that that is certainly what's happening. You have younger uh, members of the workforce Expecting that, wanting to make sure that what they're going to be doing fits. So first and foremost, if you're not clear on that, and for you, it's all about, well, I just need to hit my numbers (laughs) uh, and I'm all about growing the business, you're going to struggle because people want more than that. It's not just about money. It's about having impact. So I'd say that's first and foremost, ensuring that there's alignment. But on an individual level, as a manager, you've got to understand your team. You kind of have to build the sixth sense of their own personal dynamics because now in this hybrid world of work, different people have different working situations that will uh, really operate better for them mm-hmm. because as a working mom, you know, you've got commitments and challenges that you're just trying to juggle all the time. So that situation may be different than someone else where they may not have that responsibility and they could come into the office. But you don't want to penalize somebody just because of their life situation that they won't have the same level of opportunity. But it does come down to working with them individuals and helping them map their career plan out. When employees feel that their manager is investing in their development, and by the way, Gen Zs and Gen Xers expect their leadership and their companies to prepare them for the future of work. They want them to support you know, their endeavors and, and, and have this desire to be mentored. But when you can work together with them and help them map out their career plan within your company mm-hmm. and maybe even outside of their company, because what you got, what you have to do is understand what is their life goal too. So for example, 
maybe there's someone on your team who just has all these wonderful talents. And they some of them may be just hidden talents. You don't know because the scope that you have them working in is a bit more narrow because you've hired them based on specific criteria. But maybe this hidden talent in content writing because they just love writing on the side. And as we know, roles, jobs, requirements, needs change so fast that there could be an opportunity to leverage that. Absolutely. But if you didn't ask and you didn't understand who they were, what really gets them turned on, you're never going to tap into that. But if you can align all those things and spot the trends within your employees. So as an individual, you need to spot the trends within yourself. But as a leader, you need to spot the trends in your employees too. And identify where are those really skills and talents and passions and interests that could be leveraged in on your team, on projects, in your company. Because when you're able to do that, they're going to be more likely to be engaged, more likely to stay, more likely to feel fulfilled and give you their best work. It seems somewhat simple, but most organizations don't have some of those basic characteristics Mm -hmm. in their culture. It's actually a very low percentage, sadly, because that's one of the questions we asked in our state of work and career success survey are just a a series of um, questions regarding which characteristics exist in your workplace environment. And Mm -hmm. really, I think the highest that we had um, might have been at 40%, which was have people that they like to work with. Everything else was, I think, maybe 30% and even typically lower in the in the teens and 20s. So having a um, – being in a work environment where they have mapped out a clear career plan or have mentorship programs, sponsorship programs, have a culture of experimentation, um, an open environment, right? A lot of those things that I think many of us know to be true – that that really can facilitate a a more innovative um, and collaborative culture don't exist. So you as a leader should be mindful of it because it's probably what you wanted as well when you started working. Absolutely. But unfortunately, we quickly conform <laughs> to environments that really necessarily aren't ideal because then there's this survivalist sort of mentality. But if you can be the change that you want to see in the world – why not start? Absolutely. I, I really love that. And what I think is important, and, and this came out in a story you told really early in this conversation today, um, the person who got a job looking at algorithmic bias and had a real passion for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And if somebody really has a passion for that, most organizations could use you know, a team, a committee, a group <laughs> talking about DEI, and maybe this person could lead that or participate in that if you already have a leader. And it's, it's when we feel stifled and we feel like we're not able to express these parts of us that that, I think, can really lead to people feeling like I have to leave this organization in order to be fulfilled. Whereas if it can be a part of what it is that they're doing, and if they can feel like I'm making positive change in my organization, I'm fulfilling a purpose on top of my day-to-day work responsibilities, that's something really exciting to be a part of. 
and to get to, you know, get up and go to work every day, feeling like you're, you're changing your organization, you're, you're making it better for yourself and for others in future. That's a real, um, that's satisfaction that you can get that, that you wouldn't necessarily have otherwise. So it's a really big difference just in framing. Yes. Yes. There is, um, one analogy I'd like to use that I think could help people contextualize this shift that has been happening, but probably potentially frame up what might be happening to themselves personally. So there's a term out there called talent stacking. I think it was coined by Scott Adams, uh, who's a creator, who's a creator of Dilbert. And, uh, I think it's somewhat self-explanatory of what it probably means, but think of you know when you were younger, and I think just about everybody has played with Legos in some part of their life. But when I used to play with Legos, it was just sort of this first one big plate that you had. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you know what you want to build, sometimes you don't. But you just start. You just have the urge to create. And you take a block, you know, and you're adding, you're adding these bricks on this plate. Each of those essentially are those skills that you're building, are those experiences that you have. And they're stacking on top of each other. And at some point, when you start to build and you put one brick maybe on one side, another brick on the other side, you start to realize, wait, something is starting to converge. I'm starting to get a feeling for what I want to build in totality. But when you first start off, you're not sure. It just feels disconnected. But you're learning something and you're you're building, again, these different um, aspects of yourself and learning about yourself as you go along. But as, as you stack those bricks together, you start to realize, wait, this could become a house or this could become a car, this could become a tree, or maybe it becomes a landscape for that matter. But you don't know until you start trying and playing. That level of fidelity over time is what will help you paint that broader picture. Mm -hmm. It's very much the way careers are now because people have the ability to sample and see what is interesting and what isn't. And so you have to give yourself the permission to do so, which is why all this leads to that term called the career mashup, because then you can exercise all those different facets. And what's also important is that when in the end, you feel that level of success, and this is something that we measured in a research study that we did, is that, you know, how many people want to be successful, but what does it take to be successful? Mm-hmm. And what is the impact of those people who feel successful at work? How does that link to how they feel successful in their life? Mm-hmm. And how does that link to the success of the companies they work for? There Absolutely. is a direct correlation. So if you feel successful in achieving your career goals, you're going to be more likely to feel successful in achieving those life goals that you have for yourself. But in the end, it has a significant impact on those organizational outcomes of retention, likelihood of recommending an organization, and your level of commitment 
to the company you work for because you see a mutual commitment from them to you. Mm -hmm. Many people haven't because they've sensed that, well, you don't really care about me. You're just leveraging me as a body to do work. Now, that's not the case for everyone, obviously. But I think there's a prevailing viewpoint and there's been a statistic out there for years that the reason why people leave their jobs is big is because they also leave a bad manager. I think it was seventy mm-hmm. percent. I don't think that statistic has changed for some time. They might like everybody else, but the leader they have makes life quite challenging. You know, that's a person. That comes down to a person, not a huge entity. So I think that's really important to keep in mind is that when you can establish a strong relationship, a partnership between you and your manager or the manager and your employee, that can go a long way. Now, environments also, these a, a lot of work environments haven't invested in building the leaders of tomorrow either. Mm-hmm. So that becomes a challenge as well. I don't want to certainly paint that you know, all managers are not effective because you also need the train to be a manager. Not everybody knows how to be the most effective manager. It's not something that people do get training on. They just get thrown into the role. Absolutely. And some people by default are natural leaders and great managers. Others are not. So it, it, it's really necessary, I think, to look at that full uh, customer journey, let's call it, right? So <laughs> I'm going to integrate some of the, the, the tech language that we use, but look at that full journey, for your for potential leaders, but also the employees in your organization. Say, so what do they really feel they need? And get their feedback as well. Because like you're building a product together. That product are these people. And these people then build the products and services for your company. Absolutely. I really, I love that. That's such a great analogy. And I think can really help leaders who are looking at these stats, looking at the, the trends that they're seeing and, and getting a little bit concerned. Um, I would love to keep talking about this forever. And I feel like we, there's so much more we can get into, but I'm looking at the clock and realize we need to probably start winding down. So I'd love to just get a sense from you. Are there any trends that you're really keeping an eye on because you feel like um, you might you might see some movement, you might see some, some changes coming? Uh, I would say that... I'm constantly looking at the pivoting of Mm -hmm. people who have chosen to take a different path and why. And the new combinations, I guess, for lack of a better term, that they're creating, these interesting new career mashups that are really emanating um, from these fundamental shifts, that inspires me in so many different ways because most of us would have never thought of it. Mm -hmm. So I have this also in the book, but really what was a source of inspiration for me were some athletes and entertainers that I had seen. So one in particular I'll mention, uh, Justin Tucker, who is, a is I think, the winningest kicker in the NFL. And I'm not a huge football, um, football fan, but his story is amazing in that not only is he an NFL player, a professional player. But he's also an opera singer. <laughs> you would never think of that combination. But he That's mentioned, awesome. And this is an HBO um, segment, uh, real sports segment. But he talked about how being an opera singer actually has made him a, a better athlete because of you know, the, the strength that you need in your diaphragm, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the, the energy that it takes to sing. 
Man, that combination you would have never thought of. It's just fascinating. But naturally makes a lot of sense. And I think for many people, they see a logical connection between very disparate disciplines. That is what really um, inspires me and things that I would love to continue to explore because that also leads to different you know, marketplaces that might arise, different jobs that might come into play. Um, I'm also constantly looking at you know how the creator economy is growing because mm-hmm. you are seeing people take different paths, which is quite fascinating. Uh, but also interested in those stories from companies on how they are looking at a different way to hire and retain their talent differently because many see this as somewhat of a green field. They don't know. So for those companies who are taking innovative approaches to really cultivating their people, mm-hmm. uh, that that is always fascinating to me. And I, I uh, address one uh, in my book as well, one called Taxjar, where they actually do a neutral assessment of Ooh. their candidates before bringing them on board fully. So it makes sense where you don't know if exactly it's going to necessarily work out. You can go through all those interviews, join the company and realize, wait, this was not right. Yep. Well, they've found a way to really de-risk that Mm -hmm. much more so by ensuring the people that they want to bring on board, they, they try each other out and they see if, you know, it's really the right fit, which I think is brilliant. But it's so much of what happens already in the freelance world where yep. many people are looking to hire people on Upwork or Fiverr or what have you. And it is a low barrier to entry to see if they do do the kind of work that they say they do. And I certainly see that being much more prevalent in the future. So it is also testing and learning to see if there's a right fit between the company and the people that they're hiring, not just a straight, I want a full-time hire, go find the full-time hire. <laughs> I fill that role and then we're done. Absolutely. It, that The cost of um, replacing somebody if they quit because they're not a fit makes it always, always, always worth some extra time and energy put into ensuring a good fit. I have, I have a close friend who, um, her department was closing down. So she had to leave her job because it didn't exist anymore. And she then spent years kind of pinging around trying to find some place that had the, the work environment that she wanted. And she wasn't exactly sure how to articulate it. And that made it a little bit more difficult, but there's so much about team chemistry, about the, the culture of work that you really don't know until you've done that test. And you might discover, I love what this company is doing. I love the specific job and I hate the way that they make it work and I can't work there. And so, um, so incredibly important to take that time. That's awesome. Absolutely. 100% agree. I think many now recognize that they need to have these opportunities for experimentation because a lot of times we don't know things are changing just so fast that when you, when you give the, the latitude to be able to do that, uh, it, it really can help you and minimize that level of risk and concern on both sides. 
Absolutely. Um, we're always looking to share resources uh, for our listeners. So do you have any resources that you'd recommend? Well, one of my favorite podcasts is Work Life by Adam Grant. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> any, Adam Grant's podcasts are just quite insightful because they provide insights into different work cultures. And mm-hmm. once you understand the psychology, and this is the human side of, of work, it gives you a better context of how to actually operate more rationally versus emotionally. Mm-hmm. I think that's what many people might not realize is that we tend to operate off of emotion, mm-hmm. not cognition. So that's one of my favorites. I'd say Emotional Intelligence 2.0, uh, that book by Travis Bradbury and Jean Graves. Greaves, um, it is so important for people to build their EQ. Mm-hmm. in this day and age because we need to be able to sense how people are feeling and gauge you know their uh, environment and their dynamics in order to build the right kind of communication and relationship with one another because if you can't you're not going to be able to tap into you know, their strengths and their passions and and vice versa so know how to read the room we're not taught that. Mm-hmm. But it's such a necessary skill uh, in, in today's world of work. And then the last is growth mindset. So again, somewhat of a classic. It's been around for some time um, by Carol Dweck. But this is where we're, we're at is that when you don't see failure as true failure and something that holds you back, you see failure as learning is something in which it helps you master Whatever area it is that you're looking to pursue, that's where it changes. Then it becomes about truly growing and developing and accelerating. But in the past, failure was something you were always trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. That's not where we're at now. Failure is actually a good thing because until you experiment and you try, not everything is going to work. It just doesn't. I think we all intuitively know that. But we should never look at failure as a bad thing we need to look at failure as a way where we better understand how to do what we want to do better the next time. So I'd say that's, those are the three. Oh, wonderful. Definitely, definitely have to second all of those. All right. I am sure we've got a lot of listeners who want to learn more about you and your work. Where can they find you? Uh, you can learn more about me uh, from my website, ConnieWSteel.com, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn, and you could look up Connie W. Steele as well. It's S-T-E-E-L-E. And on Instagram at Connie Wang Steele. All right. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Connie. I have really enjoyed our conversation and I know our listeners will as well. Oh, thank you so much for having me on your great podcast. I truly enjoyed it as well. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today, including a link to Connie's book, which she didn't mention, but I'm going to mention again, at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 351. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend us to a friend. That's the best way to help more people discover it. If you haven't subscribed, make sure to do that so you get every new episode as soon as it goes up. You can subscribe for free wherever you're listening right now. We love feedback. 
You can leave us ratings and reviews in your podcast player of choice, or email us if you've got direct feedback, if you've got questions, suggested guests, or topics we should cover. Podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ryland Sylvester. Happy selling!